Welcome to the Liberal Europe Podcast, the European Liberal Forum Project. I'm your host, Ricard Silvestre. And what a great episode we have today. I'm sure our listeners are aware of the election of Humza Yousaf as the new leader of the Scottish National Party and Scotland's first minister. By the way, congratulations to him and sincere vows of success on his leadership. The SNP has a vision for the future of Scotland that is well known, with aspirations of independence from the UK. However, there are alternatives, and one of them is presented by our friends, the Scottish Liberal Democrats, where the future of the country will be better in the federated United Kingdom and with a return as a whole to the European Union. In fact, these arguments are so persuasive that even I changed my opinion when I talked with our guests today and some of other leaders of the Scottish Lib Dems. This to the point that I wrote a blog post to the European Liberal Forum website on the London Calling section, and I will add the link to the blog post on the show notes. So with this intro, it's my privilege to bring you for this episode a conversation with the leader of the Scottish Lib Dems, Alex Cole Hamilton, so that we know better his and his party vision for the future of Scotland, Scotland in the UK and in Europe. This conversation was recorded live during the Lib Dems conference of the fall of last year in Hamilton in Scotland. And after the conversation, I'll be back to tell you about some of the events organized by ELF for this month of April. But for now, with no further ado, it's my privilege to bring you Scottish Lib Dems leader, Alex Cole Hamilton. I'm here with Alex Cole Hamilton, the leader of the Scottish Liberal Democrats. Alex, thank you so much for coming to the podcast. It's great to be with you, Ricardo. And before we go into the main focus of our conversation today, which is pretty much Scotland, where it is right now, where it's heading, its connection with the European Union, hopefully, tell us a little bit about yourself. What was the path took for you to get to the point that we're now talking on the podcast? Well, uh, my background is in children's rights. Um, I spent uh, 19 years as a youth worker. I worked um, for a, ver a variety of children's charities, and uh, I'd always had an interest in, in politics, and I'd always had liberal sentiments. I, I'm a Quaker as well, and the, I think my Quakerism, and um, I'm not particularly religious Quaker, but I do subscribe to their values, um, and my Quakerism and my liberalism are very much uh, in step, I think. And I think it was my time working, particularly with looked after children, as in those children who are in the care of the state, of whom there are 15,000 in Scotland on any given day, that I could see how badly wrong the Scottish Parliament, who had the levers to do something about it, uh, was getting it. And that, that put an anger in me, um, and I started running for Parliament. It took me a while, but I got there. So let me stay here a little more. But did you have the political call, meaning the political you know, not only game, but the political thinking, the political idea of making things better. So was that always with you or did it grow as you were seeing, you know, the community around you? Yes. Yeah, so so I, I mentioned being a Quaker. That, that I mean, I'm the only Quaker in my family. And, and that's, that happened for me. At a, well, I became a Quaker. At the same time, I became um, a vegetarian, uh, joined a range of political organizations around the environment and things like that. And I was 14 years old and that was um, an awakening for me. And I think it was around the time of the first Gulf War, the Operation Desert mm. Storm. Mm. And I think it was just that was um, an awakening for me in the sense that I became fascinated by world events. And I, as soon as you start looking into world events, particularly when you're young, you can see the injustice in the world. Um, the, uh, the the exploitation that exists between people, but also of the environment. Um, and so all of these things happened at once for me. And uh, yeah, so it was a natural progression over time. I, I was thinking politically from an early age. 
Um, and for a while I was in the wilderness bit, but I found my calling in the Liberal Democrats. Another thing that you said that is really cool, and I want to, again, uh, without, uh, with the permission of our listeners, of course, because we need to talk <laughs> about Scotland, but you, you said that you were always a liberal. Yeah. Because this is the European Liberal Forum, and we do talk about liberalism. What is you, then your uh, description, interpretation of liberalism? Ah, that's a good question. And people often ask me that. Because I think that people see liberals as centrists and the vanilla of politics. <laughs> well, I don't think that's the case at all. I think we're radical. Um, liberals have always been internationalists. We, we care passionately about those people that we will never meet. You know, those mm -hmm. people affected by climate injustice or tyranny. Uh, you know, the, the women fighting courageously in the streets of Iran. You know, that is a very liberal prospectus they are fighting for, which is e equality. Um, and that is, you know, for me, equality is a central tenet of a liberal as well. Um, a recognition that we're here as custodians of the planet for our future generations, but also that we have an obligation to, to be good to each other and to, to help people up through social mobility um, and, and allow, you know, and that prosperity isn't a bad thing, that, that sometimes uh, profit and uh, entrepreneurship can drive progress. So that's the combination of things that, that make me fundamentally a liberal. Beautifully put. Thank you. All right, let's talk then about Scotland, which is the reason why I'm here in lovely Hamilton at, by the way, the conference of the Scottish Lib Dems. And I'm very happy to have you here with me. So thank you well, for that. Well, we're delighted to have you with us. Oh, thank you. Scottish Lib Dems, and, and you subscribe to that, believe that the best future for Scotland is the federal United Kingdom. Yes. To all to our listeners in Europe that look at the, the UK, and some of his dysfunction also, and some of his history, and the future where we're going to go into a minute. Tell me why you believe that. Well, I mean, we believe federalism is important because it's the ultimate extension of subsidiarity and that idea that uh, power works best when it, the levers of that power are nearest the people that it, that it affects. That's why we believe in strong local government. Mm -hmm. But it's also why we, we don't believe in a monolithic uh, Westminster Parliament. Mm -hmm. We were in the vanguard of parties supporting the devolution of Scotland and Wales and Northern Ireland. And, and we would like to see power, real power, extended to the regions and communities of England as well, so that we're all more on a, an equal footing. And I, I think, you know, eventually the case for reform and that probably starts with the reform of our voting system yes. at Westminster mm -hmm. to PR. Um, it's ironic that, that these parties that turn their faces against PR have internal elections conducted by proportional representation. Um, ultimately, it's a matter of time before we have. And I think the dysfunctionality we've seen in Westminster in recent weeks is, is real cause for that. Mm -hmm. Because there's two layers to my question and the other one is the European Liberal Forum and some of the liberals that live in that circuit do believe in a federal European Union. So I think there's a connection point there, which is if the Scottish Lib Dems are asking for a federal UK, us that we believe in the federal European Union it makes perfect sense. Yeah. So how can we transmit that then to Scotland? Well, I think um, it's a difficult sell, isn't it? I mean, you know, when I go to party meetings, Liberal Democrat Party dinners and meetings, the membership always says to me, we don't talk enough <laughs> about federalism. We don't say enough about federalism. And I say, well, I do, but it's it's quite a difficult thing to sell on the doorstep if you're knocking somebody's yes. door in an election. And they say, well, what do you stand for? And I say, well, I believe in subsidiarity and devolving power nearer to the communities that impacts the most. People just kind of glaze over. Yeah, they don't absolutely. know what you're talking about. It's quite a process argument, um, but it's an important one. One. And I think, you know, the holy grail for me is finding a way of making federalism sexy, if mm. you like. Um, All right. And, and I've not given up on that. 
Well, you just said that when you go to those meetings, people uh, do hate you for your positions. Well, that's it's to be a liberal, <laughs> to be a liberal and a leader, I guess. So, and you just said that liberalism is also radical in a good way. Then uh, Scottish Lib Dems proposed a five-step plan for a federal UK. Can you get a little bit into that, please? Well, there's several several things that we need. I mean, firstly, we need to recognise that the Scottish Parliament is a poster child for federalism. You know, it, we want people in in the regions of England to look north and say we could we could do with some of that. Um, but it's not it's not. They see a nation that's at war with itself internally, um, yes. just in, in war of words, of course, um, about the constitution, and ha it feels like we've been in that washing machine in that cycle for 15 years. Um, and and I want I think what we we need to do is several things is firstly um, move past that division I think that we are in the end game of the discussion about independence and my goodness that can't come soon <laughs> enough um, but I think there is case for reform of the Scottish Parliament as well the Parliament is broken I mean it's a young Parliament but we showed um, in, in the 2007 term for example that it doesn't work when a majority a party gets a majority of the seats we don't have a, a bicameral legislature we only have the Parliament and the revising chamber as its committees but if the government holds a majority on all the committees it rubber stamps everything that goes through. There is no scrutiny there. Um, so we, I think we win federalism first and foremost. The first thing we need to do is improve the devolution of Scotland. Mm -hmm. Then with that, with those goals, and as you were saying correctly so, with the discussion about a possible independence referendum of Scotland, let me ask you a very pro provocative question. <laughs> and to our listeners, uh, I want to know. I want them to know how the sausage is made. Of course, I asked Alex if I could ask him his question because I'm really interested about it. And that is, if if the independence referendum does does move forward, and if the vote it's clear that Scots want an independent country, do you think that the Scot the Scottish Lib Dems then could be between comas in the wrong side of history on this one? No, I, I don't think there's anything incongruous about our position at all. Mm. Um, we are internationalists. I said that at the top of our interview. Um, and it's why we were passionately, passionately uh, pro-Remain uh, in yes. the Brexit referendum. I mean, we worked harder than anybody else. See, the Scottish National Party, which are late converts to the Remain <laughs> side, um, spent more on the Shetland by-election than they did on the whole of the European referendum campaign. We led that campaign, and we led the campaign for a people's vote. And I am heartbroken that that's happened. But I wouldn't not meet the loss of one union I care about by junking the other union of nations I care about. I believe that you do um, you do better in the world when you work closely with your neighbours. Um, and at the moment, I understand that we, uh, Brexit's happened. It breaks my heart. But I will spend the rest of my life, if I need to, persuading the rest of my uh, fellow islanders, as it were, across the British Isles, that our place ultimately should lie with Europe. Those are fantastic points, Alex. So let's say then that uh, the Scottish people do not um, identify with that SNP identitarian populist message of Scots against the rest of the United Kingdom. And they say, all right, we're not going to go into that. But on the same time, we don't have a federal UK, at least yet. And we do know that the um, Labour Party, they are a little bit wishy-washy about asking you know, the British people, do we want to get back to the European Union? So what is the road ahead then for Scotland to be part of this European Union family? I think Labour's part of that, and, and I will reflect on this in my speech to conference tomorrow, is the fact that um, for 100 years um, and more, 
liberals in Britain have been uh, walking the path to federalism. But we've walked that largely alone. Um, but in recent years, we have been joined by others, and Labour is one of them. In 2016, the current leader of, of uh, Labour in Scotland, Anas Sarwar, uh, chaired a commission on Scotland's constitutional future, and he concluded that federalism uh, was the answer. So I'm going to extend the hand of friendship mm. to Anas tomorrow, um, invite him to, to work with us, because I think you know if we're building a vision for federal Britain in isolation, then that, there's no sense in that. Uh, and it makes more sense for us to come together. Look, it's, it's a long road, and there are many vested interests in stopping it happening, not least the, the current voting system. You don't get turkeys voting for Christmas. Um, but ultimately, I believe that the, 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 it, this is the idyll. It's the ideal form of the governance of human affairs is to entrust our communities with the power that they need to improve their lives that case ultimately will be unanswerable. It may take some more time, but I'm, I'm in it for the long haul. But let me press you a little bit on this, because as someone that cares about Scotland and the United Kingdom and the future of the islands, how can you then convince the labor of saying, hey, you guys did a mistake. That's fine. That's politics. We can do mistakes and then you know, go back in, into it and then make things better. So uh, do you have that confidence that you, 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 Scottish Lib Dems, and even British population can break that stalemate? Well, Labour have been very, um, very not, not been shy at all, I should say, about telling us about the mistakes we've made in the past. <laughs> but look, I don't think they made a mistake. I think they're, they're coming round, is the way I would describe it. Um, and I think more and more people, and between us, if we unite forces on this issue, we will bring more people to our cause. Um, and that is, um, that's how you win people around. Um, but look, on the, on the EU, I mean, it's regrettable, I think, that had Keir Starmer been the leader of the Labour Party during the Brexit referendum and not Jeremy Corbyn, uh, we would still be in the European Union by right now. We had uh, a, a Labour leader then who was ambivalent at best, but probably quietly Eurosceptic. Um, and, and as such, um, we are, well, history... Is, is written now. We, we've left the European Union. Um, but I am confident that with... And, and the one thing we've not talked about, about Ricardo, is the, the changing paradigm. I think on the 24th of February, the world shifted on its axis. When Russia rolled into yes. Ukraine, um, great point. everything changed. And I picked this up on the doorstep as well. Even from people who voted Brexit, they're saying, actually, I'm not sure isolationism is the way forward now. We face a common enemy. We face uh, years, potentially decades of Cold War, and it is a new Cold War. Um, then we need to walk closely in step with our European neighbors. Also, the other thing, final thing I'll say on this, and this is, I think, the way we bring Labour around, is for all the economic problems that Britain faces right now in terms of trade, in terms of Northern Ireland, in terms of um, our interest rates and inflation, all of these, there is a silver bullet to all of these, and that is rejoining the single market. And there it will come a passage of time where I think that case becomes screamingly obvious that, that, that we need to, to join the, the single market, and I think Labour will get there too. And with the Lib Dems being part of that coalition, if not a government coalition, at least a coalition to make that change in particular, I'm quite sure that the European Union would be very pleased with that development because I was just talking with uh, MEP Barry Andrews from uh, Ireland, from Finnafall, and he's saying us at the European Union will look at Westminster and it's not a reliable partner. No. And the, 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 let's say that the Conservatives 
do exit the government, how do you recover that confidence? Then? Well, I think you've answered your own question there. Yes, sir. That it's not Westminster that's not the reliable par partner. It's the Conservative Party that is not the reliable partner. Why? Because they are a loose collection of warring factions yes. mm -hmm. um, <coughs> who are slave to the right wing and the Eurosceptic um it was slightly xenophobic wing of their own party. Um, and, and I think once we get rid of them, and that time is coming, um, then I think the, the nation, our Brit Brit well, Britain's standing on the world will be um, rehabilitated. And I think people will feel they can do uh, business with us again. I heard a, a prominent French um, diplomat on the radio a few days ago saying effectively um, the Elysee Palace and Macron have uh, largely written off um, mm dealing with Britain until the Tories go. Oh, wow. Um, well, not, I mean, of course they'll deal with this, but they've just, they don't take it seriously Absolutely. anymore. And they won't until they go. So it has to happen. Well, I'm sure his feelings are hurt with Liz Truss <laughs> <laughs> saying well, what he, she said. Just <laughs> who lasted long. longer? <laughs> <laughs> well, then let me bring another thing, which is, again, for our listeners in the European Union and even outside the European Union, but on that uh, sphere... I do know that the Scottish Lib Dems do have also some concerns. Like, for example, we are more integrating, again, going into a federation or a federation-like federation superstructure. For example, we have the Eurozone, we have Schengen space, we have also labor and, and trade uh, agreements. Then tell us a little bit what are the negotiations or if there are any boundaries uh, for Scottish Lib Dems when you guys think about this kind of... In, in, terms, in the context of if Britain was to come back into Europe? Yes, that's a great question. Let's have this then a two-parter. First of all, Scottish Lib Dems are successful. They convince that the federal UK, it's a, it's a good idea, and they should advance, and then we should rejoin the European Union. And then, if SNP does win the day, how much Scottish Lib Dems are ready to work and help than to have that uh, seamlessly transition to the European Union? Okay, so there's a few things to unpack there. Firstly, <laughs> it's not our policy right now to rejoin. Um, I, I hope, and I, I know, you know, within every Liberal Democrat heart, there is a missing European star right now. Uh, but at the mm -hmm. moment, we, we have to accept that we lost the Brexit debate. We need to let that bed in. And I hope over time we'll be proven right. I, well, in a lot of ways, I hope we're, we're not proven right because it's hideous. Um, but, <laughs> but then, you know, I think over time, our, our goal right now is to walk in closer step with our European counterparts so that if the time comes that we can persuade the British people that the time is right to rejoin, that's a policy for another day. Okay. Um, similarly, if Scotland became independent, Liberal Democrats would work to make that a success. I mean, we don't want to see Scotland fail. I will fight passionately um, for uh, Scotland's place in the UK. In fact, I, you know, I would lead a campaign to see Scotland to the, the outcome of the negotiations for a breakup of the UK put to a people's vote, so mm -hmm. we get a second referendum on that. Yeah. But if ultimately I am um, left with that horrible situation, of course, I don't want my my family or my neighbours or my constituents to suffer. Um, so I think then that if we are cut adrift from that union, and I desperately hope that doesn't happen, then of course I'll advocate for saying, well, we need to get as quickly as possible uh, into the EU. If, that is, if, if that's where um, all these chips lie. But there's a lot of moving parts in that, Ricardo. Absolutely. So um, I'm confident we're not going to have a, an independence referendum. I think that actually the only reason it's been kept artificially high is that conservative dysfunctionality mm -hmm. in Westminster. Absolutely. 
when they lose power, that changes everything. I think when Nicola Sturgeon leaves, that changes everything because a lot of personal support for her is behind independence. Um, and you just start to see it sort of fizzling and it, it's lost momentum already. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, I, I, I'm confident, but as, as confident as I can be, this is not a real proposition. But let me get back to the main point of this question in particular. But if it does happen, both inside the UK or as an independent country, what are the red lines? Are there oh, yeah. red lines? Because let me, let me just tell you why I worry about Alex. Because the United Kingdom, when you guys were in European Union, us in the continent were like, all right, they have all these demands. And <laughs> so now probably we'll be like, all right, you guys are going to go in, you're going to come in, but you're going to come in with our rules. <laughs> are you comfortable with that? Or, of course, negotiation politics yeah. is always... So, so this is all presupposed on the fact that we are looking to rejoin, and this is not our policy right now, but but I, you know, I can see where you're coming from. So Lib Dems were never the, the kind of agent provocateur, <laughs> as it were. <laughs> We were, we were not the ones that were saying we don't like, you know, talking about straight bananas or um, the, the rules or anything like that. The, the European Union needs reform. Yes, There's true. no question of that. I, th- I find it very odd that um, members of the, you know, members of the European Commission, for example, um, are meant to leave their, par- their country identity at the door. But bigger countries get more commissioners than smaller countries. How does that work? You know, there's some fantastic points. Yeah. So, so there are definitely reforms that need to happen in in the bureaucracy and, and in the bureaucracy. Um, and it, it, I think we need to reimagine Europe. But I don't have a problem with Schengen. I certainly don't have a problem with free movement. I think, my goodness, yes. Scotland and in fact the rest of the UK right now is crying out for the reintroduction of free movement. You know, our hospitality sector is on its knees. Now, I know that's a problem in Europe as well. I've just come back from a holiday in the Netherlands, and they were saying a lot of the restaurants were only open four days a week because they couldn't get waiting staff because of the impact of the pandemic. People being at home said, I don't need to work as much, and they've changed their lives. That's fine. But we that's turbocharged because of Brexit. So I don't think you'll find many kind of red lines in the liberal context. Good. All right. As I, my time is running out with you, because as our listeners can imagine, uh, the leader of the Scottish Liberal Democrats have a lot on his plate. But again, as we're finishing the conversation, then you already tell us what you're thinking, what is your aims, what is your goal, what is will be the best case scenario? How can we have our Scottish brothers and sisters back into into European Union? So um, that's a really good question. I'm glad you asked me that because actually it gives me the opportunity to speak to angst-ridden Remainers like myself um, in Scotland who might be listening to this podcast. Um, Nicola Sturgeon would like us to believe that, uh, you know, day one we leave the UK, day day two we're back (laughs) in the EU. It's not going to be like that. It's not going to be like that. Firstly, you know, we we all know, uh, your listeners will know, the the accession criteria, the Maastricht Treaty, require in particular for uh, two big things. Um, Firstly, that our structural deficit is no higher than 3%, Mm -hmm. or at least on the way to becoming that. Mm -hmm. We're nowhere near that. It's like 9%. It was 9% before COVID. So that would require lots of austerity and tax rises before we would even be considered for membership. Secondly, we need to make a firm commitment to join the the euro. Um, At the moment, the the prospectus for an independent Scotland would be to use the currency of a non-member state, the pound, uh, without a central bank, without a lender of last resort. So these propositions, and, and notwithstanding, we'd have to have a referendum and a period of, of, of negotiation. So we're talking about five, ten years, very more likely ten years before we're back at the races. For me, I think 
for any liberal Remainers out there, I think that, that there's actually probably a, a reasonably equal chance or, or stronger chance of us over time persuading, particularly in the context of Putin's Russia and aggression, um, that we need to walk in step with our European neighbours as the United Kingdom. Mm-hmm. Now, it may not be that they don't necessarily want us for a while, and I wouldn't blame them for that. Um, but ultimately, and I was really pleased, actually. I mean, the one thing, the one good thing I think Liz trusted in her vanishingly short period as Prime Minister was to attend the new uh, gathering of the... The, the sort of embryonic, it's not a council of Europe, it's a, a, a new group of European leaders. And I just think uh, she had said during the campaign she wouldn't, but I yeah. think she recognized that she had to. And and that for me is a really positive step um, that somebody from the hard right of the Tory party recognizes we can't do without Europe. That's, that's, that opens a few doors. Very good. As we're getting to the end of our time, please tell our listeners where they can know more about this, follow not only you online, but also the party that you, you're you leading. Where you, can you direct people to? So you can uh, you can find, follow me on Twitter, A.G. Cole Hamilton, um, and the Scottish Liberal Democrats website will direct you to all of our key campaigners and activists and our policy platforms. Wonderful. I've been talking with Alex Cole Hamilton. He's the leader of the Scottish Liberal Democrats. I do believe that Scotland is in good hands with people <laughs> like you. And uh, let's keep this conversation going. Uh, let's hope, again, like you were saying, that Scotland does get a good future, both in the United Kingdom and in the European Union. And I'm looking forward to have you back when we can celebrate that victory. Thank you, Ricardo. <laughs> I'm back. Just reminded that you can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. And if you feel like it, give us a five-star review. In that way, you can help us spread even more liberal values and ideas. And now for some of the events organized by ELF for this month of April. On the 12th of April, 2.30 to 4.30 Central European Time, this in the European Parliament, we have an organization from the ELF Secretariat and the German Economic Institute, Untangling Digital Strategic Autonomy, How to Make the EU the Continent of the Future. This first session of ELF Stakeholders Dialogue will focus on technopolitics and digital strategic autonomy. The first meeting of ELF Stakeholders Dialogue will focus on the issue of digital strategic autonomy by exploring the main challenges in cybersecurity, critical infrastructure, supply chain and data economy. The dialogue will allow legislators, policymakers, and business stakeholders to get a novel perspective on the ongoing legislative proposals. Then on the 14th of April, this is in The Hague, an organization from the ELF Secretariat and from LIMEC, Getting Your Voices Heard, Young Changemakers Academy 2023. The Young Changemakers Academy is a program aiming to prepare young people to take an active part in their respective communities by shaping their future in given policy areas by means of three seminars and networking supporting with other young people and senior political figures from all over Europe. Then also on the 14th of April, this 2.30 to 6 p.m. in Warsaw, we have an organization from the ELF Secretariat, Working Groups, Rule of Law Crisis, Liberal Solutions. The series of ELF Working Groups on Rule of Law will focus on Polish and Hungarian perspectives on threats to democracy in these countries, and by doing so, further expand the conditionality mechanisms implications in the context of other member states. Two sessions will be held in Warsaw and one in Budapest to discuss a liberal compass to overcome the rule of law crisis. 
The working groups aim to identify solutions and outline the next steps for restoring and preserving Europe's democratic future. And this is all for now. I'll be back soon with more podcasts. Until then, let's keep making the world a better place. This podcast is produced by the European Liberal Forum, co-founded by the European Parliament, and have the support of the social liberal movement Think Tank in Portugal and Liberty Foundation in Poland. The views expressed herein are those of the speakers alone, and these views do not necessarily reflect those of the European Parliament and or the European Liberal Forum.